The podcast is also sponsored by my good friend Tiger at It's Tiger Music on Instagram at itztiger.music. You can find all his work on Spotify, SoundCloud, and iTunes. He does all the music and tracks for the Block Hash podcast. Go check him out. Also, don't forget to check out Blockhash Plus on Patreon. This is something that's new, where you can learn more about trading, technical analysis, and charting, all for the price of two cups of coffee a month. That's pretty damn cheap. Sign up at patreon.com slash Blockhash. And last but definitely not least, Blockhash is offering consulting for all your blockchain needs. Buying, exchanging, selling, safe storage, tokenization, NFT creation, point of sale, you name it. We can help you. Go to blockhashpodcast.com slash consulting and let's talk. What's up guys? It's Friday, April 2nd, episode 122. And today I have Redemption, which is like the coolest freaking name ever. <laughs> Red for short. Uh, a community rep from Harvest Finance to talk about Harvest. So Harvest is an international cooperative of humble farmers pooling resources together in order to earn DeFi yields. And by farmer, I mean yield farmer. Don't worry, we'll dive into all of that and explain it very clearly for you guys. Also, don't forget to check out the newsletter by Blockhash. It is totally free. You don't have to pay anything and you'll get market updates every single week, analysis, and you'll learn a little bit more how to trade on your own. So with that said, be sure to subscribe and share this episode with someone that you think would like to learn more about Harvest Finance. Enjoy. Mr. Mr. Red, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? Pretty good. Thanks for having me, man. It, Red or Redemption, whatever you want, but it's, it's short for Redemption. But yeah. Is that like a pseudonym or is that like an actual name? No, it's old school from uh, MIRC chat and the old chat programs back in the day. Um, it uh-huh. just happened to be a handle when I was some like teenage punk. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I've just I've just carried it on forever. I kind of use it as a gaming handle too. So I was gonna say if that was actually your name, like Redemption, like that would be the most badass name ever. <laughs> I know my son's <laughs> name is Ace. That's a pretty cool name. I, I really love. That's that a cool name. one too. Yeah. Yeah. So the nickname is running the family, I guess, huh? Yeah, there you go. Anyways, um, tell me a little bit about your your story, uh, how you got into crypto and what like really piqued your interest and drove you to want to be in this space so my audience can get kind of an idea of like who you are. Like a normal guy who is very interested in, in crypto as a hobby. I, I think I heard about Bitcoin like years, years and years ago, but I thought like magic internet money was re- a ridiculous premise. Mm-hmm. Um, until kind of about like 2017, I talked to my brother-in-law, um, and he was all about crypto, but he was talking about Ethereum and smart contracts, uh, and just this whole idea of you could build, um, like this self-sustaining entity on the internet. Um, and that's kind of how then I really understood the, the logistics of Bitcoin and how it worked. Uh, but to me, just more so Ethereum. I'm a gambling person. So for me, I was like, whoa, if mm-hmm. you could build a, a casino on Ethereum that's globalized, um, that no government can stop, and you could tokenize like ownership of that, like think how powerful like just that in itself could be, right? Like, you know, billions made just in Las Vegas, 
put that on like the internet again with like no global borders and you have like a unified currency in Ethereum or Bitcoin or whatever it is, um, just how much money that could pull in, uh, much lower fees for the user. Um, and then again, the, the end user could be a token holder making a, a lot of dividends as a quote unquote owner um, of the casino, right? So to me, that really mm -hmm. sparked my interest. Um, and then I really, I really dove in um, during like the ICO craze. So there was just like so much going on. But to me, um, the first project I really invested in was like token card because, you know, a Visa card that could spend this magic internet money and monetize it. Well, I was like, well, this is like really one of the, the cornerstones like that should be of crypto, right? So um, I was mm. so enthused about that. I actually started moderating um, in that channel and just kind of helping out as a volunteer. And I did that for like three years, complete volunteer basis. Um, never got any tokens or anything like that. It was just like very passion driven, uh, kind of just into crypto going, you know, all in. Um, and then today that just kind of the, the same thing carries over to Harvest. I just kind of stumbled upon their project because I liked yield farming and the, the returns that came out of like DeFi summer. Um, and so an, a yield aggregator, you know, being able to save you money and just kind of the, the uh, costs associated with gas and not having to chase farms. I, th I found that very interesting, kind of like YFI. Um, and the same thing, kind of like Monolith, I just started helping out um, in the project, answering questions. And they said, hey, do you want to be a moderator? We need people to help kind of um, provide customer service. Um, so again, like the, I'm just some guy who really passionate about crypto. And I, I really like use that passion to start helping other people. And then that's mm -hmm. ultimately how, why I'm here today, like speaking with you. I'm just like very passionate and like sharing my story. I like talking about Harvest Finance and crypto in general. Um, and so, you know, like not to jump too far ahead of ourselves, but like with a, a DAO or a commune like Harvest Finance, it really gives everybody the opportunity who wants to, you know, talk about crypto or be more deeply involved in crypto other than just holding you know, not just depositing your money, but like depositing your talents, right? And I think I'm kind of mm -hmm. like an example of that we have 10 other moderators, again, just people off the street um, in the community that kind of stepped up to be um, something more than just um, hanging out in a chat room. Like yeah, you know, and that's good you, to have that kind of passion too in the space because, um, you know, we're driving innovation, all of us in different ways um, in, in blockchain and fintech. So it's, it's good to have that passion so you can keep going in a space that'll like you'll, you'll make it or break it. So it's important. Um, and I think just to touch on like the online gambling, cause I'm from Las Vegas. Okay, <laughs> so, nice. like, so when I w first started hearing about crypto and blockchain and stuff like that, like I think online gambling was like one of the very first use cases, um, where they were like showcasing what you could do with smart contracts. And that was really interesting to me. I spent a lot of time trying to break some of those gambling <laughs> platforms because, you know, when it's ran by a computer and that's like when they say they're rolling the dice, like it's kind of like they're rolling the dice, but it's a little bit more predictable. Um, so I don't know. I found that stuff really, really interesting. But it seems like you've found a lot of different things that have pulled you into the space, huh? Yeah, like for me particularly, I'm into uh, sports betting. Um, so for that specific mm -hmm. angle, cause I kind of like you, I've always been wary of like this random number generator. And is, is this thing mm -hmm. really going to rob me if I bet on red 27? Right. Um, sure. So for me, but like with sports betting, I mean, you know, billions in just like NFL alone. Right. Um, 
And that's just a simple data feed, right? Can you get a consensus from multiple data feeds in a decentralized manner that says, you know, the Minnesota Vikings beat the Green Bay Packers? And what was the score in the spread? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so like that form of it, I think um, can come a lot quicker or probably build a lot more trust um, with the general public um, as opposed to, yeah, those random number generators, whether, and you question whether they truly are random. Yeah, the thing with the number generators, it's like, I like really question it because like it's a quick little story. Like, cause I used to play a lot on Tron bet because it was a really easy platform to break for a while um, where you like roll the dice and you have like a 95% win chance. So you just set it really low and you just win, win over and over again. And then eventually when you lose, usually it like you lose like all your money, but like if you like double or nothing, what's the odds that you're going to lose a second time? with a 95% win chance. Yeah, I know, right? So, so if you can, if you have enough money and you can just keep doubling your money up to win it back every time you lose every uh, 5% chance to lose, you, know, you can keep making your money back. Problem is I tried doing that. And at some point I lost like four or five times in a row. And I was like, okay, this is definitely broken. <laughs> There's not a, yeah, something's not right. So that's like, it was the end of my online gambling. But I, I do like the sports betting one. I found that one pretty cool. I just haven't found like a good platform. Like, do you know of one? Um, no, not one that I, I'm ready to vouch for yet because nobody's solved the that data oracle problem, right? Everybody's solving like mm-hmm. off-chain um, or, you know, and they're manually solving bets. So that's still a very big part of centralization, right? Like somebody a whale made some makes a massive bet and they could, you know, shift to the end score, or w- whatever. Right. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, the biggest thing is like, I was following peer plays for a while because they, they were coming pretty close. Um, but they, I, they were having a lot of problems with that consensus, right? A game would say, you know, baseball game starts at 10 Oh five. And then another feed says 10 Oh seven. And then another one says 10, 12, none of those will find consensus. So the game can never start without manual intervention. And you, want to have that right so um i don't i haven't seen anybody um there are some on ethereum that have like a bunch of smart contracts but again they're settling scores manually and for me i want like the purest pure DeFi. um so i um again i don't really have a name for you other than like peer plays like just mm-hmm. think about what you were saying about random number generation they were actually certified um by um, one of the biggest companies in North America for random number generators. And I think they were the first in North America to receive that quote unquote certification um, on blockchain. Mm-hmm. Um, so they haven't really released a product yet. Um, but for me, just kind of looking at that one specifically, like almost nobody's ever heard of them, but they've just been really grinding out a lot of these um, decentralized things. Like another one they're doing is um, it's called Sans which they're on a graphene chain, but they figured out a, a decentralized bridge for Ethereum, uh, Bitcoin, um, pretty much any currency, right? So um, not it's random mm-hmm. tangent to talk about them, their project and gambling, right? Sure. But uh, uh, yeah, those are, that's just one of the ones that I'm following because again, I'm just, I'm so, I've spent so much money in Bovada, but so mm-hmm. in Bitcoin, but just such a hyper centralized system and you have to wait for approvals to get your money out. And it's just, 
you know, it's really um, an ecosystem that could benefit from blockchain in terms of transparency um, and, you know, nobody being able to cut you off when you've won too much, um, you know, things like that. So, uh, you know, I really think that's an industry that even if Bitcoin itself doesn't take over the world, I think, you know, blockchain itself is very viable. Um, and, and again, that industry. In particular. Yeah, I don't think blockchain is going away anytime soon. But like speaking of blockchains, have you spent most of your time like playing around and working on the Ethereum network or have you explored other blockchains as, you know, alternatives potentially? Um, it's mainly Ethereum. Um, I've played, you know, obviously Bitcoin, but I mean, it's like smart contract wise. It's just everything's on Ethereum. I think mm -hmm. I tinkered around um, with Tron like bets a little bit like you, but I'm just yeah. so like, ugh, I think I threw like 25 bucks at that, but I'm just like, okay, this is, this is too sketchy for me. Right. So yeah. I kind of stuck to um, like even gambling. Uh, ETH horse was a kind of a, a fun little dinky app where you could bet like in like a one hour period who would have the better uh, margin of gain, like Bitcoin, Bitcoin or Ethereum. Right. You couldn't necessarily rig the market on that. It was just simply looking at like coin market cap data. Um, so it was fun just to throw like some tiny amount of ETH on that. And you could win like three times your money because it was all dependent on whether people were saying, picking which pool was going to uh, be the higher bet. And that was purely decentralized. So those kind of games, you know, to me are like extremely fun and, and a great proof of concept. But ultimately answer your question, it's, it's all Ethereum for me because that's just where everything is. Yeah, I know we're kind of going down a rabbit hole on online gaming, <laughs> but it's okay. Um, do you, is there like regulation around it though? Like, cause I know in the past they've been pretty stringent on like online gambling and stuff, but is that kind of like opening up a little bit more given the fact that like you can kind of do it anyways on blockchain and there's not a whole lot that can be done about it? Well, I mean, it's always very territorial, right? So I think the mm -hmm. United States, everybody kind of thinks about in terms of like, stringency and laws um, specifically around gambling um, I, I live in the states so um, I know specifically it's been kind of goofy for a while but ultimately there's been a lot of leniency on online gambling and then in particular um, basically sports gambling's kind of been delegalized it's really down mm -hmm. to each individual of the 50 states so a lot of the states are kind of ramping up so there's not as much of like a, a stigma on gambling so much um, and so that's kind of why i think you see like bovada specifically accepting um, bitcoin um, just so they can ultimately take users from all over the world but then they're kind of recognizing blockchain and bitcoin as um, something that's viable in the world today right so mm -hmm. um, but like as in terms of legality that's the other kind of like weird thing about some of these blockchain projects like Tron betting or whatever, they're based out of Malaysia where they kind of have some goofy laws. You don't really know what's going on. Again, mm -hmm. very centralized. If you're truly decentralized, the laws don't really matter, right? Like you're living on the internet um, and there's no law like in the States that say you can't go interact with like a decentralized uh, application, right? Like the laws, I think actually specifically are um, on the banks saying they can't transmit money to, um, gambling organizations that may be within the states um, and, and i'm not a legal expert here so don't quote me on this but um, yeah. ultimately i think the, the the legality is more on the banks and how they transmit money not on the end user and how they're gambling right so um mm -hmm. you know so ultimately you know it may be more for these projects who are starting out centralized uh, that they have to worry about those laws but i think you know 
just like any of these currencies that maybe somebody's starting up and it's truly decentralized once you kind of flip that switch it's alive and hey i'm not accountable accountable anymore right yeah I, it's such an interesting area though that like blockchain touches because it also kind of collides with like online gaming too in blockchain because it's eerily similar in a lot of ways like you're taking your magical internet money and you're you're putting it into some type of um built software on the blockchain whether it's gambling or gaming and you don't know what's going to happen to it (laughs) you know there's algorithms behind everything and there's mistakes made and human error um i just feel like some some rules and laws get really blurred at, at this point when everything's like online i don't know it's really interesting to me you know what you actually touched on something that's really interesting to me is I'm blown away that nobody's really tapped into the gamer space Mm -hmm. where, you know, like all the gamers are like the younger gen, like us and younger. Right. But in streamers. So why aren't, you know, they hyping, you know, Bitcoin and Ethereum as much? Why aren't, you know, they using that as like their, their main payment of portal, Mm -hmm. um, you know, so to me, that that's really like a market that I think we can dominate in. And just thinking about like NFTs, right? Like NFTs are this big craze in Bitcoin, but it's like over, you know, like a picture of a cat. But like to me, NFTs are going to be way more impactful. Like when you see like CSGO skins for guns that are like a thousand dollars, like, but what if you could put that on the blockchain and then you could take that like more readily anywhere that you could go or you could, you know, go cross platform or whatever, right? Like. To me, that's where all way more money in NFTs could be is when you finally bridge the gap between blockchain and gamers and kind of digitize all of these like loot boxes and things that you are and put them on the blockchain so they're more easily mm-hmm. tradable between users. Yeah, that's a whole nother rabbit hole, man. <laughs> yeah, I know. So we don't need to jump in that one along with gaming, right? <laughs> yeah, but we can we can touch it for a second though. I mean, I had Polyant Games on um a month or so ago or two months ago um, on the podcast. And we kind of dove into it as well because they bought like one of the most expensive NFTs in terms of like gaming and stuff like that. It's like $800,000. It's like ridiculous. What the hell are you guys doing? Um, But there seems to be like a really strong growing interest for creating um, like an, an NFT or a way to put like items in game or property in game or anything like that onto blockchain because then you all of a sudden create this digital economy out of thin air mm-hmm. and that opens up all kinds of opportunities especially in gaming so i, I imagine that it's going to come around pretty quickly it might be like the next thing people touch on in terms of nfts because right now it's like all art and collectibles and things like that but once they figure out there's utility applied to it I think that's the real game changer. Yeah, I think like top shots, um, just like as a random example, like baseball cards, like digitizing those. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I liked comic books and uh, baseball cards when I was younger, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But how many times did those get like ruined or or bent or beat up or whatever? Mm -hmm. So you can still instill like rarity, you know, in a a rookie card or, or whatever, right? With NFTs. Um, you know, while maintaining like its beauty. Right. Um, so mm-hmm. I, I definitely think like top shots and how popular it's become, like you can call it quote unquote artwork, but I think it's actually like kind of like that first step um, into like bridging like collectibles and blockchain. And then as you're saying, I think, um, you know, gaming is the next in- inevitable step. 
yeah, I, I think it's coming around the corner. Um, but yeah, let's pivot to harvest finance a little bit. Cause I have a lot of questions about that. So like, what is it exactly? Um, and then I know it has to do a lot with yield farming. So maybe like an overview of like what yield farming is since it's kind of brand new. Sure. So I just gave actually like a presentation on yield farming, um, at NYC blockchain. And so I'm just going to try to super simplify this, but mm-hmm. when you have a, a decentralized application and there's no owner, um, that also means there's like there may be no funding for it, right? So if you think like an exchange, you have USD in your hand, you walk into a normal bank, hey, you need some euros. They hand you some euros, you hand them the USD, you walk away. Well, that bank has a bunch of money sitting behind the counter because there's a bunch of like investors or owners of that, right? Well, in a decentralized mm-hmm. application, technically there there is no owner. So in yield farming, these applications that come up like let's say one inch or Uniswap in order to have liquidity as an exchange, they entice individual users like users like you and me to come and deposit your USD or deposit your Euro and act as the bank by pooling everybody's money together, right? So if a thousand people pool USDC together, we can now act as like a USDC exchange like for that Euro or whatever, right? And in return, one inch or you know uniswap give you back reward tokens um, for providing liquidity there and so that's what yield farming is like the intentional act of going around and, and putting liquidity at these various various projects that hand out rewards for doing so so you're farming for rewards essentially um, but it can kind of be expensive and dangerous to yield farm like almost every week there's a, a brand new hack um, in yield farming where you'll see like 23 million, $25 million lost, um, from meerkat hack on, you know, um, finance smart chain, um, you know, just a, one of the most random examples. So, um, a yield farming aggregator like harvest finance, what it does is actually is able to look at the, or the developers of harvest finance go out and look at the, the contractual code at each of these individual farms and help determine the safety of these farms. And then do like carpooling, everybody mm-hmm. pooling their money together, depositing. If you have $500, you can deposit with the guy that's depositing a million. And it all gets placed at these farms. It farms for rewards, sells the rewards for profit, and redeposits it back into your account, effectively compounding um, your original balance. So you deposit USDC, it maybe goes out and farms uni token. It'll sell those uni tokens for USDC. And now you started with 500. Now maybe you're at 550, but your earning power is now grown because now you're earning on $550 instead of 500. So harvest does like that automated compounding for you. And mm-hmm. because you're carpooling, carpooling with other users, it's that the cost is shared. So like when you have these really high gas events on Ethereum and it costs you like $50 to do a transaction to do compounding, it actually takes six intensive gas steps on Ethereum. So it could cost you like $300 to perform compounding. Well, to make $300 in rewards, you probably have to deposit like over $50,000 depending on the APY of the farm. So that makes yield farming and compounding almost very inaccessible to the small depositor. But with Harvest Finance, by everybody being able to carpool their money together, 
it's now fractions of a penny per user as opposed mm -hmm. to $300 um, to perform compounding. And if you look at like APR um, versus APY, like uh, compounding versus non-compounding, um, the growth is exponential versus linear. So it's very important um, in yield farming and you'll see every farm um, in yield farming basically quote their percentage in APY, but it's almost misleading to look at those numbers because again, the most users can't afford to compound, right? So um, that's what Harvest Finance is essentially. We're, uh, we're a yield aggregator that automates the entire process of farming while also only deploying strategies that are known to be safe. So you don't get kind of trapped in what's known as a rug pool, basically like either the administrators or a hacker um, finds a backdoor in the code where they can steal everybody's money. Okay. So is it kind of similar to like Ethereum mining pools back in the day where you have like one centralized place where it like kind of cuts out all the issues and you just kind of direct towards them and it handles like all the fees and everything kind of like a similar scenario. Yeah. I mean, just in the sense that you, yeah, you're joining up with uh, other like-minded individuals um, who want to mine for Ethereum. So you all pool your money together instead of you just mining with your, you know, one little tiny hash power or whatever you can mm -hmm. pool together and form, you know, one giant pool of hash power. At Harvest Finance, it's, yeah, deposit your $500 USDC, you're pooled together with, you know, $200 million worth of deposits of USDC, and now your earning power is much stronger at whatever farm that money's pointed at. What kind of yields are you are you guys getting? Is it like the yields based on like the, the token and stuff like that? Or do you have like an APY for Harvest Finance for someone that's joining in? So it's kind of like split. So depending on what you deposit, if you go to the, the front page of harvest.finance, there's over 45 different strategies that you can deposit in. So like mm -hmm. you can deposit just simple um, USDC or USDT, which is earning 30% on a just simple digital dollar. So if you think of like a fiat bank that pays you 1% on your dollar, you can make 30% at Harvest Finance on your digital dollar. Just very mm -hmm. simple, straightforward deposit. Or you can do complicated things like sushi LP deposits or like one inch is one of the newer ones we have where you can deposit a, a one inch combination with Ethereum. And those are earning like 150% APY. Um, but it's a little bit more of a complex strategy. Um, you need moderate to advanced kind of user knowledge how to jump into those pools. Um, and in addition to that, or what's kind of included in those APYs is our reward token, which is farm. Um, when you deposit and stake farm, you start receiving 30% of all profits generated by those 45 plus strategies um, on Harvest Finance. So like right now, mm -hmm. um, we float between like five to $7 million a month um, generated in profits at Harvest Finance. That means 30% of that flows to everybody who staked in the farm profit share, right? So mm -hmm. in addition to making money on say that USDC that you deposited, you're also earning some bonus tokens, which are then makes you now like participating in like a revenue share of the entire platform. I want to buy some farm. Where, where's farm at? <laughs> uh, farm's cool because we try to be, um, you know, along the decentralized lines where we're a commune, mm -hmm. Um, so we, we really point to places like um, Uniswap, 
um, is where the, the majority of our liquidity is. And mm-hmm. we also have a proposal right now um, engaging with SushiSwap about how we can kind of potentially collaborate and think about moving our, our liquidity pools over to SushiSwap. Taking a step back and looking at like Ethereum mining as an example, like in the past, people used to do that to create almost like a daily income in some situations and then other situations they just hold it long term as an investment so like with like yield farming is it what, what's the main goal is it to generate a type of like daily passive income or is it to create something that just compounds and that creates a long-term investment like what's the general idea that most people have with yield farming so there's like two different approaches to it ultimately and it's it's on how, what you're depositing, right? So mm-hmm. some users, like, again, you have a digital dollar, uh, you know, and I don't want to sit in Ethereum or, or Bitcoin or whatever it is that has these wild fluctuations, right? Because even if I'm mm-hmm. making 30%, um, well, what if the market swings 45%, right? In the wrong direction, it just wipes mm-hmm. out like all of your gains. So I think that's kind of like maybe what makes mainstream investors a little weary. But what if you could say, no, here's a digital dollar that's stable, and then you'll earn your 30%. Well, then maybe that's kind of what's going to bring in your mainstream investor and say, okay, yeah, I want passive income or I want like a stable type of income. Well, then we have other strategies, which we call like our Chad DGen quote unquote strategies, um, where you're putting in these very volatile um, assets uh, mixed in an LP token, but they may get you a thousand percent APY. But because the token itself is very volatile, that APY may be offset to where it's only like 10% because of just randomly the swing in the token. So there is some speculatory nature in some of these strategies that we're doing for people who just wanna think if they can do a cash grab quick buck. And then we have some very like serious, straightforward, um, passive um, type investments or, you know, not investments, but strategies um, where you can deposit and say, I'm pretty confident I'm going to be making this 15 to 30% APY. And that's 15 times anything I could ever get out of the fiat banking system. Yeah. I imagine if I've, I've put down quite a lot in terms of like just buying a few different tokens that produce like a decent yield. Um, but like, I still don't like get a whole lot. Like, does it, is it more beneficial to do it through some like through like harvest finance versus doing it completely on your own? Like, is there just more benefit to doing it that way? Yeah, because, you know, even though there's like a a 30% rake, um, if you deposit USDC and, you know, it earns you a thousand dollars, you know, there's going to be a 300% or not 300, $300 cut um, taken off of that. So your net's going to be 700. But ultimately what I pointed out was anytime you actually try to perform your compounding, it's going to cost you $300 as an individual user to compound. So you've completely wiped out your profit just trying to achieve true APY. Harvest can compound once or twice, like every other day, and it's going to cost you fractions of a penny. So no matter how much you deposit um, in a Harvest Finance, you can pretty much achieve that compounding effect with fractions of a cost that you Mm -hmm. can't do as a solo farm. Right now, just with because of again uh, Ethereum activities and the costs on Ethereum. What's your role there? Is it just moderator, or is it like farm master general? Or <laughs> <laughs> so I was actually um, like recently just given the title of like foreman. 
I'm just a like project manager kind of a sense. I'm, I'm help organize the other mods, make sure mm-hmm. we're kind of like all on task in a sense, because I don't, I think what people don't understand about a DAO, a decentralized autonomous organization, it's, you know, you flip on the switch and there's this um, code that's running. And then a DAO is like when you can vote and then things will happen because I voted about them. But there's still like, you know, with a, a $500 million business that Harvest is, you know, the developers spend all their time coding, you know, chasing strategies and making sure we're, we're putting out the most cutting edge things possible, you know, updating the website, um, cracking out bugs, security. There's just a million things you have to do in developing alone. Mm-hmm. But who's doing the the customer service? Who's writing the intro guides? Who's doing the podcast, the marketing, mm-hmm. like the million other things that you actually have to do to run a business, right? So the developing is like, you know, 80% and the most critical and kind of what everybody sees, but community, and that's why you know, crypto is so unique and, and why crypto community plays such a big role is because you need people from the community to kind of step up and do that. So as I was kind of talking about earlier, I serve um, in that role with like 10 other people. And then just me as like the foreman, I'm kind of just helping us kind of Mm -hmm. keep in task. I'm, you know, I consider myself on the same levels as everybody else that's serving. We just kind of need somebody to make sure that the wheels keep on spinning while the developers have their head down grinding it out. Right. And that makes sense. That's, that's pretty cool what's the level of safety in terms of like DAOs nowadays? Cause there was that one DAO on Ethereum years ago that got hacked. Like, mm-hmm. is it like much like better now or is it more secure? Like, cause I'm sure some people would have a little bit of reservation in terms of putting their money into a DAO. It's just like a very general term when you say DAO, right? And, and as I mentioned before, mm-hmm. there's like a hack every week in this yield farming, whether it's, um, there was bad code or it was just like malicious intent um, by the developer in the first place. Right. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's hard to answer that question directly. What I will, I will say is things like feel a lot safer because there's a lot more quality projects out there. Right. Like what the mm-hmm. one that you mentioned, you're like the original DAO and you're talking about like five years ago or whatever it is. Um, and nobody was like, you know, really truly building on the juggernaut, juggernaut that Ethereum is today way more checks and balances, way more like auditors, trail of bits and least authority. It just, you know, all these good quality, like synergistic effects building up when you have so many good developers coming to the space and really trying to build an awesome system like DeFi. So I think, yeah, like ultimately the answer is yes, things are much safer, but at the same time, it's still like the American Wild West, you have to like you have to be careful sure. what you're doing, right? Like things are safe, like there, there's money to be made. Um, you know, you're on the, the cutting edge of technology, but you know, there's still a lot of snake oil salesmen and like you can get robbed overnight, you know? So just sure. have to be very wary. So it mostly comes down to like the developers maintaining it and not running into too many bugs or a really bad bug, I guess, at that point. So it's mostly like a developer type thing. Well, yeah, there, you know, because the thing is, though, it, it depends on your interactivity with other systems too, right? Like your, your mm-hmm. code could be perfect, but then they, there's this whole concept of money Legos where these systems interconnect and then create that synergy, right? So like Harvest mm-hmm. interconnecting with um, a curve finance because we're farming their token. Well, when you connect two things, right? Like sometimes when you mix two chemicals, you may have an unexpected reaction. 
right? And so, so both of you may have your programming perfect, but then as soon as you interconnect, something just may not translate properly. And then that's when a hacker can do like a flash loan or it doesn't even have to be a hack. They just find mm -hmm. um, a way to manipulate the system where they can use like the mechanisms in DeFi to steal your money, right? So it doesn't even have mm -hmm. to be like a quote unquote hack. It can just be um, a, a miscommunication between how the two systems are interacting. I always found DAOs like really interesting, like besides that, the terrible hack that happened years ago. I mean, I, the whole concept of what you can do with a DAO as a decentralized autonomous organization, it just is really cool to me. Are there other like examples of or use cases of DAOs in Ethereum that are really popular right now, other than um, in just yield farming that you're knowledgeable about? Yield farming is definitely just one example. I mean, there's mm -hmm. almost every project in a sense, if they're truly trying to be DeFi, you have to be a DAO because if you're decentralized, there's nobody in control, right? So you have to uh -huh. have like kind of like this mechanism where, you know, something breaks or if the platform needs an upgrade, um, these token holders have to vote and say, yes, we want this implementation to occur, right? So. Um, so yeah, definitely, um, you know, like project, another project they work for AP wine, they're starting up, um, AP wine finance, they're starting up like a tokenized, um, futures on yields, right? So like if, um, the farm token is doing 60%, um, APY, or if your digital dollar is doing 30% APY, what if you could borrow against that 30%, right? Cause you know, that 30% is stable. You know, mm -hmm. if I'm going to put a thousand dollars in there, that means it's going to return me three hundred dollars for a year. What if I could tokenize that theoretical three hundred dollars? You know, maybe sell to somebody for two hundred as like a hedge against my money, so I could have like a payday advance today, mm -hmm. right? Um, you know, and then whoever bought that theoretical yield for me now potentially made a hundred dollars if that 30% maintains on that thousand dollars, right? So within that, they have a whole governance mechanism because what are the trading fees um, to generate those tokens and then to trade one and then to redeem your yield. So things like that, or like at Uniswap, the same principle, there's fees for when you create a liquidity pool. Um, so can you, um, where are those fees going? You know, even going back to like our original conversation about like casinos, right? Mm -hmm. A DAO would vote in how much fees should we charge the customer is, you know, 2% too much. Maybe we should drop it down to 1% to be competitive with everybody. But again, there's no centralized guy in a suit that says, okay, let's change it. People have to vote on those mechanisms in a decentralized system. So, um, yeah, like not just Harvest Finance, pretty much every um, project that is in this decentralized ecosystem has some kind of DAO concept in, built into it. Okay. So like is Uniswap like a kind of like a DAO or DEX is like something completely different? It's hard to like maintain like an idea <laughs> of all these different terms. <laughs> yeah, anachronism. A DEX just means decentralized exchange. So yeah, mm -hmm. they're, they're definitely going to um, have some kind of governance system to it. But every single project is different because not... Very few have actually achieved like full peer DAO status where 100% of like all decisions are perfectly controlled um, because ultimately you can have 
manipulation in this like one guy who owns 10% of the token supply vote mm-hmm. is going to drastically um, you know change any kind of voting scale that, that occurs right and who says that's not an owner of the platform herself who just bought up all the tokens when they're cheap right um, so like again it's just very case by case um, you really have to look at each individual project and say like what does this token represent? What can I do with like this governance um, and voting power? Are they really a DAO or are they just kind of like pretending to be with some like um, smoke and mirrors mechanisms? Let's go into some theory real quick. Do you think that, you know, DAOs and DEXs and DeFi and everything that's, you know, cropping up, it's like really driving all this attention towards Ethereum, you know, given Ethereum's you know, issues with being able to kind of scale quickly and fees and like gas fees and stuff like that. Do you think Ethereum is like still going to be the place the, where a majority of people are going to build this stuff out, you know, going into the future long term? Or do you think some of that market share is going to go elsewhere? Because there's other blockchains that are pretty damn good at this point that have solved some of those issues. But I mean, it's kind of like, Will like Ethereum 2.0 like become everything everyone hopes it will? Will it not? It seems like it's kind of like teetering right now. Um, and it's kind of really interesting to watch certain projects kind of debate where they want their future to be. I guess just in your opinion, since you're kind of in the space, do you think it'll Ethereum will kind of dominate that for the near future? Or do you think it'll shift? Yeah, I, I definitely think it's kind of, the snowball is rolling downhill and it's already gotten so much momentum and mass. Mm-hmm. It's going to be kind of hard to, you know, derail what's going on in Ethereum, right? So mm-hmm. sure. You're always going to have like um, challengers coming up and saying, Oh, we have all the, the fastest transaction speeds. Um, but let's, let's talk about like Binance smart chain, right? Oh, everybody's, you know, the, the big media thing is all these farms are popping up on Binance smart chain so much faster um, transaction costs are um, nil. People start yield farming over there, and a rug pull occurred. Now, whether good or bad, Binance was able to step in and supposedly shut down all the bridges um, back to Ethereum, so the people that stole the money couldn't get away with it. Right, mm-hmm. but that's a completely centralized move. They they halted all the bridges. They basically effectively stopped the chain. What, what's the point of blockchain then if somebody could stop it? What if somebody stopped Bitcoin today? Like that, the world would freak out. It would basically be worthless because you basically circumvented the whole point of it being decentralized, right? So the whole you have this whole media narrative that there's so many things that are coming to challenge Ethereum, but nobody's really done it yet, right? Like they kind of they're doing it with like all these smoke and mirrors, like you typically do in the headlines of media. But the reality is everybody's still building on Ethereum and there really isn't like this mass exodus that everybody's claiming. They're just showing mm-hmm. you like, hey, here's the five or 10 projects that are that have popped up on my my new faster chain. Well, Ethereum has like a thousand dApps and growing, right? So um, to me, I think it's more of just like hyperbole than anything else. Well, I mean, my first investment ever was Ethereum. So I'm, I'm kind of like on that train. Me too. But like, yeah, me too. Hopefully it can like, it can keep getting better because it is really annoying when I try to sell an NFT for $70 and my gas oh, fee is $70. I'm just like, come on. <laughs> Dude, have you, have you tried art blocks yet? No. Is it any better? 
Oh, no. Okay. Well, Artblocks is really cool. It's generative art. So Artblocks IO. Um, how do I explain this? Have you ever played like a game like No Man's Sky? Yeah. Okay. So, you know, it's like procedurally generated. This mm -hmm. is kind of like the same concept, generated art, where like the artists program um, certain parameters and then they, they hit go. And mm -hmm. then uh, every time you mint, and so you pay, it costs like 0.1 to mint, it's telling the algorithm to go and it generates your NFT randomly based on that algorithm. So you could have something crazy mm -hmm. and unique that nobody else is going to have. And so that's what Artblock.io is. They're working like with these really talented artists that come up with all these different parameters for generative art. And some of them are just really amazing. But to go back to your comment, like the art mm -hmm. will be 0.1 to generate, but the gas fees are so high. It's like 0.3 in gas. So it's three times more in gas than the art piece itself is to generate. It was called a uh, artblock.io. Artblocks.io with art an S. Artblocks with an yeah. S. It's really I mean, cool. Some of the art that generates is just amazing. Like if you go into the curated mm -hmm. section, that's kind of like the top of the the top of the line. Mm -hmm. um, some of them are just amazing. Look at like archetypes. Um, that's the kind of one I just sit and stare at. It's like this uh, rectangles kind of uh, kind of deal, but it's just amazing. Some of those pieces on there are awesome. Have you ever played with like the AI generated art? Like that stuff is mind blowing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's kind of like along the, the same lines yeah. too. Like, and that's the stuff like in NFTs that's mm -hmm. really like interesting to me as opposed to like, and not to knock on any artist, you know, there's some really sure. cool stuff out there. My brother-in-law is uh, definitely into the NFT art and stuff. And like, mm -hmm. and art is very, uh, eye of the beholder, right? But it's to me, subjective. just like, yeah, subjective. Exactly. That's what, that's what we were looking for. But like, to me, I love like the AI generated, like randomization that like nobody will ever see or be able to like create again, mm -hmm. as opposed to like somebody taking like a picture of a tiger and like making it weird colors and blurring it. Right. And like adding some artistic effect, like some mm -hmm. people love that kind of stuff. Like, but to me, I love the AI procedural kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, there's all different types of art out there. So it's no different than saying, oh, I like one type of art versus another type. Um, so I, I don't know. I find AI generated art like super, super cool. It's amazing what a computer can do nowadays. There's some that you can, most of them are free online too. Like there's a few that like I can like take a picture of something and then like just give it the photo and like say have fun. And then like five minutes later, I got this like beautiful masterpiece made out of my photo. I'm like, oh my God. Well, there's an NFT right there. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Anyways, I think that's probably a good place to wrap up. We covered so much damn shit. Um, awesome. So Red, thanks for coming on the podcast and um, explaining a little bit more about what Harvest Finance is. And I like the shirt too. Oh, uh, I can, good. I see it. Don't worry. <laughs> it's going to be in the video. Nice. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate it. I actually made, I, I custom made this myself. I just, that's how like, YOLO I am. I think I made this like week two. I was just like, I need some Harvest Finance merch. I love sitting here and just talking about Harvest Finance. Well, I, I want some too. I love getting crypto merch. How can I get a Harvest Finance shirt? I, I'm going to send you one then. Man. I'll get you one. Okay. Okay. Well, yeah. I'll be back in the States, so I'll, I'll message you, I guess, and figure it out. Nice. Um, but yeah, thanks for coming on and, you know, really explaining what yield farming is because I, I keep getting those questions all the time and like I can't like fully answer it because it's just, you know, so new. And like, no, we covered DAOs and DeFi and uh, online gambling and, you know, you name it. I think we I think we touched everything. So thanks for yeah, coming I, on and having a conversation. I appreciate you having me, man. Like, yeah, and I want to invite everybody out there, harvest.finance, come check us out. We kind of try to be like a one-click solution for all users. 
super friendly community. And, and we love feedback. Like if you're a dev or if you're like an artist, we take artwork, we have a marketing contest where we want people to make videos and art and memes. And we pay like 1500 bucks to first place, I think, um, in that okay. upcoming oh, um, cool. marketing contest. So like, I think I kind of mentioned it before, somebody came up with a tagline. We don't want you just to deposit your, your money. We want you to deposit your talents too. Like that's how, what a, a DAO and a commune is all about. So definitely want to invite everybody out to come visit. Yeah, do you guys have social media or are you guys active through like Discord or like Oh another yeah, meeting? man. We're huge. Discord, we have a massive community active okay. 24-7. Um, that's where our main hub is at. Uh, we definitely have a Twitter that's very active, a Reddit page. Um, so yeah, we have all that stuff. But the Discord, come to harvest.finance and you'll see a link to the Discord on the right side of the webpage. And like I said, our, our community is bustling. It's really cool. Yeah, sounds awesome, man. All right. I'll let you go. Thanks for uh, taking the time and really appreciate it. Appreciate it, man. Have a good one.